Welcome to Sunday School Dropouts, the podcast where an ex-Christian and a non-believing sort of Jew read all the way through the Bible for the first time. My name is Nico Bakulich. And I am Lauren O'Neill. And let's get biblical. Let's get biblical. I'm the ex-Christian. I was raised Presbyterian. I taught Sunday school. I sang in the worship band. I am now an atheist. And I'm the non-believing sort of Jew. Also, this is not a Christian Bible study podcast. And it's not for children because there's always cussing. I'm reading the New International Version of the Bible. And I'm reading the NRSV or New Revised Standard Version. And today we are talking about the Gospel according to John. It's the fourth goss. Yep. Hot goss here. Hot goss. It is, uh, or should we just like slip slide right into facts? <laughs> yes. The ramp is greased. <laughs> My butt is bare. Let's slide on down. Um, so the first three gospels were the synoptic gospels, mm-hmm. meaning they were uh, very similar. John is rather different. Mm. What's the, is there official name like synoptic, like cool, mysterious shit? Well, it's like a little Gnostic, maybe. Mm. It has like some just little like. Like a uh, a sousson of Gnosticism, yeah, just like a like the like an aftertaste of Gnosticism. Sure, elements um, of oak and blueberry. <laughs> it was written uh, not too long after Matthew and Luke, mm-hmm. probably around like eighty one hundred. Wow. Um, but like I assume it must come from a different like community or like tradition because it's very different. Mm. It's like not. Like, 10 years isn't enough to make that difference. It has to be from from a different community, I assume. Um, I also assume it's not written for a Jewish audience because it translates all the Hebrew and Aramaic terms, mm-hmm. including rabbi, which mm-hmm. you would think, like, anyone with a passing knowledge of Judaism knows what the word rabbi means. And everybody is this Jew or that Jew. Yeah, it talks about, quote unquote, the Jews a lot. <laughs> um, and it it does still have a lot of stuff about Jesus fulfilling Jewish prophecies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I don't really know what the audience is here. Um, it's traditionally attributed to John as in the actual disciple John. Mm-hmm. Like one of Jesus's like inner core of the three main disciples, which are Peter, James, and John. Um, that's definitely not historically true. Although my... My Bible's notes insist rather aggressively that it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like, um, yeah, yeah, he was like 100 when he wrote it. Yeah. Uh, what, you don't believe in Jesus? <laughs> I mean, he could have been vampire. Uh, and I mean, sure, why not? He did. Anything is possible. Drink the blood of his Lord the Christ. You know what? You're not lying. Shall we start a chapter one? I would love to start a chapter one. There's Wait, no Christmas. Wait, before we do that, let's do a quick check-in. Oh, what's the, what, what's the check-in? How are you doing, baby? How am I doing? Yeah. I'm good. I'm drinking some, I'm drinking gin and tonic. The official drink of the show? Yeah. G&T, good news translation. Mm-hmm. Not reading it literally, but we are drinking it figuratively. Mm-hmm. So chapter one, there's no Christmas story. No. There's no virgin birth. We get a lot of references to Jesus's mom throughout the book, but she's never named as Mary. Are you sure she's not named as Mary? I'm quite sure. Wow. Because it mentions several Marys. Yes. And she is never named Mary. Interesting. She's only Jesus' mother. The beginning of this book felt very mystical to me. Let me read the first sentence. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
Through him all things are made, but without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Hmm. So, seems like a very clear callback to Genesis. Yes. Which also begins with the phrase, in the beginning, and is also about the creation of the universe and light and darkness. Um We've been we've been seeing how the gospels have treated Jesus's divinity slightly differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like in the earliest gospel, which is Mark, God, you know, kind of adopts Jesus as His son when He's baptized. Right. Um, in Luke, He's announced to be the Son of God, like as soon as Mary uh, miraculously conceived Him. Um, and then also, like the Son of God in the first three gospels is uh, maybe not quite quite equal to God. Right. He doesn't know everything God knows. But here we are, we're getting much closer to the idea of the Trinity that will eventually uh, crystallize. Jesus is God here. He existed from the beginning of time. He was part of, like, creating the world. Um. So, uh, no, no virgin birth. We do meet John the Baptist, but he is just called John. He's never called the Baptist. Right. Um... And we don't see him baptize Jesus. No, he's just out there preaching. And it's just like super aggro, like super defensive. It's like John the Baptist is not the son of God and he's not the Messiah and he's not Elijah. He's just a preacher. He's just here to glorify Jesus. And that's it. He's just a guy. Just go ask him. He's just a guy. He'll tell you. I, I feel like. Maybe there was like a competing sect ah. that claimed that John the Baptist was the Messiah. Or know, I mean, cause... my confusion the other week when we were describing all of this, like in Luke, jo- all this John and Jesus stuff was all mixed up. Like they were the same age. Yeah, yeah. And the angels visited both their parents. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, who, I, are they the same guy? Or right. Like, what's there's something weird about and that? And Jesus also calls John the Baptist Elijah in. Either Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Right. And in this one, he denies he's Elijah. <laughs> yeah. So something has happened in those 10 years since it was written. I don't know. That's interesting. <laughs> um, And forget Jesus sort of like gathering his disciples, but... When John when John meets Jesus in this version, it's very strange. Yeah. So he... There's no baptism. Instead, it says, the next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by... He exclaimed, look, here's the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, which is in the text. Yeah, there. So he's like, I assume whoever's reading this doesn't know what Rabbi means. Where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. First of all, that's some boring bible writing yeah it's true but also he's not finding fishermen and making them fishers of men um john the baptist is just like hey go follow him yeah and they do he's the real deal he's the lamb of god yeah um and it doesn't give like a full list of the 12 like the other gospels did the 12 disciples um it just kind of like adds a few names here and there. I mm-hmm. think it, it names like seven or eight names in particular. And one of them is Nathaniel. There mm-hmm. was no Nathaniel in the first three. Anyway, uh, so yeah, we start. We just start with like Jesus's ministry. We don't get a birth. We don't get a baptism. 
Um, and in chapter two, he performs his first miracle, except that they're not called miracles in the book of John. They're called signs. So the other gospels use the Greek word dynamis mm. for miracle. And John uses semion or sign, which you can still see, you know, like semiotics. Right. Sign. Um, and there's seven signs in the book of John. Does and that match up with a prophecy or something like that? I'm not exactly sure. There's also seven I am statements. Okay. Um, I've like not really heard of this. I found it when I was researching Iambic, for this episode. It's Iambic septameter. It sounds like some Catholic shit. I see. I don't I've like don't know about this stuff. So his first miracle is basically to become the king of parties, right? Yes. It's the wedding at Cana. It's not in any other gospel. And so he yeah, so he's at a wedding and like in Galilee, which is where he's from. Mm -hmm. Hometown wedding. Yeah. And they must be like family friends or cousins or something because his mom is there. Mm -hmm. And she is like classic overbearing wine mom. Amazing. Totally realistic. Right. So first she's like, hey, Jesus, um, they're out of wine here. Can you do something about this? And Jesus said to her, woman. What concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. Yeah, he's like, that's not my problem, okay? <laughs> and then, like, his mom just totally disregards him, <laughs> calls the servants over, and she's like, "Um, this is my son, the rabbi. Uh, do whatever he tells you to do. <laughs> and Jesus is like, oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. I'm really sorry, you guys. Just, like, take these fucking ceremonial water jugs like fill them with water and just bring them over to the the master of ceremonies mm -hmm. of the wedding. So they do. And when they get there, the water has magically become wine. But my favorite detail about this is that the chief steward of the party. This is like the MC Who is in charge of this wedding. He's like, wow, you guys are so generous. Usually what you do is you serve the nice wine first and then the cheap wine once everybody's drunk yes which he, first of all that is a principle that holds true to this day. yeah that's a that's a two thousand year old principle two thousand year old party rule he fucking calls like he he like takes the the bridegroom aside and mm -hmm. he's like dude like i gotta tell you like usually people are down to like the two buck chuck by now you guys are so glassy <laughs> this is the great wine which is such a, a, a an interesting thing because not only does jesus make Wine out of water for no reason here. These are not believers. No. This has nothing to do with his ministry. No. This is strictly to keep the party going. <laughs> uh, but not only does he make this miraculous conversion, when it comes out, it's fine as hell. Yes. I I really like this story. When he becomes party Christ? Like in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't like the way it's used in this book because then it it's says... It's not used in this book. Well, it says, like, quote, this, the first of the miraculous signs... Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. It's like, like, it's definitely a really cool miracle. And <laughs> like providing infinite high quality booze is like very relevant to my interests mm -hmm. personally. Um, <laughs> but like, it's not quite on the same level as like healing the sick or like feeding the, the party. Poor. Jesus has forgiven their uptight, their sins. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and lo, Jesus turned water into wine that the people might party harder. <laughs> um, like, I don't know. But like the text explicitly states that this 
it's just like, yeah, he performed a magic trick so people would believe that he was magic. Right. Um, not quite as cool as healing the blind. I have another scriptural problem with this miracle. Please tell me about it. He's in his hometown. Yeah. Not supposed to have any magic oh, powers. Oh, you're right. Well, he's not in Nazareth. He's in Cana. Uh, but he's in he's in like his home county, right? Yeah, in he's Galilee? in like his home county. But yeah, I don't know. But, that's fair. That's but, fair. But that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, and then we get Jesus kicking the money changers out of the temple in Jerusalem, which in the other gospels is like in the last week of his life, like right before he gets Makes crucified. Makes so much more sense in the ramp up to his yes. crucifixion. And then here is just like, uh, chapter two, like he took a day trip to Jerusalem. And, and like, this one, he's all over the place. He like made a whip and whipped people. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, going back. Then he left. Um, yeah. It was perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah. The Pharisees don't get wind of or like make a plan for him to yeah. watch later in the book, despite the fact that he's all over the map, kicking ass left and right. Yeah. He's, he's everywhere at once. And then. In the next chapter, in fact, so like in the last Gospels, in the last three Gospels, we've seen him like constantly fighting with the Pharisees Mm -hmm. and the Sadducees, which like to just to remind people are the two main groups who had religious and social power in Judea at the time. And um, in chapter three, just after kicking the money changers out of the temple, Mm -hmm. he's talking with a Pharisee named Nicodemus, Mm -hmm. who's like really sympathetic to him. Yeah. And um, says... We know you're sent by God. Otherwise, you know, you wouldn't be able to perform these bomb ass party miracles. Sure. Otherwise, the party would not still be raging. Yeah. <laughs> and, eight days and eight nights. And Jesus responds with like this, like non sequitur. He's he does this a lot in this book. In the last three Gospels, he had like all these like pithy one liners mm-hmm. and like sarcastic retorts. And here he just says stuff that sounds like a white person trying to like make up a kung fu movie or something mm-hmm. or like a fortune cookie you know um so you know nicodemus is like oh you must be god you must be sent by god and jesus says i tell you the truth no one can see the kingdom of god unless he is born again and nicodemus is like but people are only born once and they get into this whole like theological thing yeah nicodemus is like what like i can't go back in my mom's batch and jesus responds with an even weirder non sequitur which is like, you can hear the wind, but you can't see it. That's like being born again in the spirit. But all the nonsense aside, he does get in one of the better lines of this gospel. Well, re- okay, what what do you think it is? For God so loved the world that uh, he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Yes, so that's like like the most famous Bible verse ever. Right. And there's a reason. I mean, it really does. I don't know a lot about famous Bible verses. Uh-huh. And it really did stick out. It did. It did. Absolutely. Because like he's saying all this nonsense. And then this really, I, I don't know, it, it, it expresses the theme of, of the Gospels yes. very, very succinctly. It does. And, and it's like, yeah, it's like the, like, if you're going to pick a single verse from the New Testament, definitely this one. Maybe from the whole Bible. I mean, I guess people probably know, like, let there be light or let my people go. Sure. Might rank above this one, but this is probably in third place. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I just wanted to say that it did stick out. That's that's cool. That's interesting to know um, because I didn't I didn't really, like, realize the context of it that, like, 
it's this weird mystical conversation where he's like being deliberately vague uh-huh. and saying like, oh, like you can't see the wind. Um, then we get him traveling through Samaria. And as we learned in Luke, Samaritans and Jews do not get along. Um, that's why the parable of the Good Samaritan is so significant. Mm-hmm. And that's, of course, where the song uh, Samaritan Woman came from. <laughs> Samaritan Woman, get away from me. That one? That's the one I was thinking of. Um, so Jesus stops at a well alone because his disciples are in town getting food. Jacob's well, specifically. Yeah. And my Bible actually had a footnote that said, uh, mentioned nowhere else in the Bible. Really? Yeah. Hmm. It's interesting, like, um, Isaac's servant proposed to Rebecca at a well. Yes. But there was nothing about any Jacob well. Jacob well. I mean, there were so much, so much of that stuff in the, in the patriarch times of the Old Testament. Everybody was like, oh, they. Everybody was throwing wells (laughs) everywhere. (laughs) But they, you know, they traveled for two days and they stopped overnight at a small city in a valley. And, and that, that is still known and as that is still known yeah. as blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. Um so he asks uh the Samaritan woman who's drawing water from the well to draw him some water as well, but he has to be all mystical about it. So he's like, uh, you know, like this is just regular water. He doesn't but... really ask her. He says, Give me a drink. <laughs> okay. Uh and he's like, This is regular water, but like um, as the son of God, I give people the living water. And she's like, I don't get it. <laughs> and he's so like, I have fucking work to do. I got kids at home. He's like, uh, why don't you go get your husband? Oh, wait, you can't because you've been married five times. And now you're just with a boyfriend who isn't married to you. And she's like, whoa, how did you know? She's like super impressed. Goes and tells all the other Samaritans and they like start believing in Jesus. Like he doesn't heal her of anything. He doesn't forgive her of anything. He just does an impressive magic trick where he knows about her slutty past. Right. And that converts all the Samaritans. Yeah, it's strange. Um, He does. He basically negs her into belief. <laughs> okay. That is great because like. We're going to, like, get into that later, right? Okay. So, okay. So, he does heal some people. He he next goes to the, the pool at Bethsaida mm-hmm. and uh, heals a bunch of people. There are a couple of original miracles in this gospel that don't show up anywhere else. This is one of them. The, the fellow in the pool. He wants to bathe in these healing waters. Mm-hmm. I assume it's a hot spring of some kind. Yeah, or something. But he's so injured or ill. That every time there's an opening in the pool and he tries to get himself up to get into the healing pool, somebody else steals his place in line because yes. he's so slow. Yes, because he's like, you know, partially paralyzed or yeah. whatever. And so Jesus says to him, look, the solution to this is not getting in the pool. Just get up and take your mat. And the guy gets up and takes his mat. And yep. he's like, holy shit, I didn't know I could do that. And he goes to the elders and he says, Jesus told me to get up and took my take my mat and I took my mat. And they say... You took your mat on on the Sabbath? <laughs> He's like, that wasn't the point of the story. <laughs> but yes, the man who healed me healed me on the Sabbath, so go after him. I gotta say, like, that is consistent with the other Gospels. The Pharisees are, like, always really pissed at Jesus for helping people on the Sabbath. Well, they're trying to catch him on a technicality. That's it's just true. like, that's how you catch Al Capone, is not with the fucking G-Squad, but with the tax lawyers. With the tax lawyers. 
Um, he does do the fishes and loaves miracle where he feeds a crowd of 5,000 with uh, five loaves and two fishes. But this time the crowd is there because they saw him heal these people at the pool. Mm-hmm. He doesn't give a sermon. They're not there to hear him preach. He doesn't go out in a boat and give the sermon from the boat uh-huh. like in the other gospels. Um, doesn't say any like blessed or the meek type stuff. No mm. sermon on the mount. No beatitudes. He just talks about how he's the son of God and you get to the kingdom of heaven by believing that he's the son of God. Um, he does walk on water again mm-hmm. and it is in the middle of the night again, but it, there's a lot less detail and it doesn't say uh, which disciples are on the boat or anything. And in this version, the crowd like retroactively figures out that he must have walked on water because they're like, oh, like only one boat left the shores last night. And Jesus wasn't on it. This is an example of something in John that I'm confused by. So this is written later than the other Gospels. Yes. Why would you make these stories worse? (laughs) If you're from a different tradition. Mm. You know, if like if the stories diverged way earlier and went to the other three Gospels in one way and came to you in another way. I see. I see. I see. Like if there were some of these stories from a common source, but yeah. then one interpretation of them ended up in one place and then the other and the other. Well, I mean, I guess that makes sense. It's just disappointing. It's like... <laughs> yeah. So in this version, the people, they figure out like that Jesus must have walked on water. They don't like assume, oh, maybe we didn't see another boat leave in the middle of the night or like maybe he got on a horse and traveled around. There's only one explanation for yeah. this. <laughs> so they get in boats and they cross the lake and they find him on the other side, and um, he's like, yeah, you liked those endless breadsticks, huh? You mm-hmm. like those fishes and loaves? Um, well, I'm the, bread of, yeah. I'm the bread of life because of God and stuff. And then he says, like, this is my flesh broken for you, which in the other three Gospels he doesn't say until the Last Supper, mm-hmm. and only to the disciples. And here it's like to a big crowd. Mm-hmm. This also has a great example of post-miracle awkwardness that is not in in the other gospels okay. i mean there's a there's a little bit of it but not in not in this exact way it's a little like a walk of shame on water got it situation got it it says uh when the people saw the sign that he had done they began to say this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world when jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king he withdrew again to the mountain by himself <laughs> also also, it has them being like, what? Like, your bread, we're supposed to eat you. I don't get it. And then he says, this is a direct quote from the NIV. Does this offend you? Why? Like, what the fuck? Like, Jesus has become like a 4chaner. <laughs> like, is he fucking Heath Ledger playing the Joker? Like, oh, I'm bread. Eat me. I'm into cannibalism now. Does that offend you? <laughs> and then... It says that a bunch of his disciples desert him after that. Also, this passage is very strangely written in John. It's it's very repetitive and and odd. Yes. Like it's he sounds a little unhinged. Yes, it's and no one wants to hang out with Edge Lord Jesus. <laughs> he says No one wants to hear the word of the Edge Lord. For example, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. 
does this offend you? <laughs> it's like, okay. I'm into four now. You need to, what, like, you can't handle it? He needs to, like, get a good night's sleep and maybe not fast before giving a speech. And maybe not walk on water <laughs> all night. Uh, then Jesus' brothers are going into Jerusalem for Sukkot. And they're like, yeah, you know, come with us, show off some miracles. Here, like some hot booths this year. <laughs> some hot booths. I thought you said hot boobs. And that would be funny if I had, wouldn't it? it I think sure would have. I think boobs are funny. <laughs> uh, that's very sophisticated of you, baby. Uh, Jesus is like, no, you go on without me. The world hates me, <laughs> but it doesn't hate you. But then. I don't deserve booze. <laughs> then halfway through Sukkot, he shows up at the temple in Jerusalem. He shows up in secret. He starts preaching and everyone's really impressed. Uh, here's the direct quote. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? And Jesus is like, you know, like, I know everything. I'm the son of God. Duh. And then he says, why are you trying to kill me? Mm-hmm. And... The crowd says, like, uh, you're crazy. No one's trying to kill you. The direct quote is, uh, you are demon-possessed. Who is trying to kill you? Mm-hmm. And then Jesus goes on some rant about, like, circumcising babies on the Sabbath. And he's like, yeah, it's fine. Like, do whatever you want on the Sabbath. <laughs> and the crowd has, like... A mixed reaction. A mixed this. reaction. Because they're like, maybe this guy's the Messiah. He's talking about circumcising babies on the Sabbath. Yeah, but that seems like weird shit. But this this Messiah is supposed to be from Bethlehem and he's supposed to be from the line of David. And like this guy's just from Nazareth. But like this is the only gospel that doesn't try to fill that gap in. Right. That's a good point. Like all the rest of the gospels are like, oh, yeah, he was born in Bethlehem. And here's the genealogy. It's this weird convoluted thing. But it proves that he's the Messiah. And here they're like, well, he can't be the Messiah. So part- and that just. So part John of the original So part of the original story must have involved people doubting because he didn't fulfill this part of the of the prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. Um so in most of the gospels they filled the gap like you said because there was obvious doubts. Mhm. As evidenced by this gospel where there are doubts but no gap filling. Uh then we get this part that's only in later manuscripts of John. According to my Bible, it's not in the earliest manuscripts. Really? Um, but it's a really good story. And it's um, the Pharisees bring in a woman who was caught in adultery. Mm. And they ask Jesus, like, what to do with her? Because, you know, Mosaic law says stone her to death. And it says Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Mm-hmm. And then he stands up and says the famous quote, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Still a, still a classic quote. Great quote. Then he bends down again and starts writing on the ground. It never says what he is writing. He keeps writing as the Pharisees like leave one by one in shame, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they're all gone, he stands up again and he's like, well, I guess no one can condemn you. So go and stop sinning. Yeah. It's it's very strange. It's there are some scenes in John that are very beautifully done. Yes, and they're like super famous, and you would think that they would be repeated, and they're unique to John. Hmm. You know, it's like interesting that certain certain things are repeated in three gospels, and then John has these unique ones. But sometimes the unique ones are like the most famous. This one's interesting too because Jesus's main deal 
in the other Gospels uh-huh. is this idea of radical forgiveness. Uh-huh. One of his main deals. And his main deal in this one is like, I'm the son of God and you have to believe in me right. to go to heaven. Right. And But this is, this is forgiveness, right? This is radical forgiveness that yes. even though the law says, prescribes a very specific punishment for this woman. Yes. He's going outside the law basically and saying, no, I forgive all and especially those that are like guiltiest or whatever. Yeah, he doesn't say that explicitly. He doesn't say that explicitly. But, but it's, it's very easy to read that into it based on the other gospels. Based on Luke especially, mm. yeah. Um, then JC and the boys. Uh, JC and the boys. <laughs> meet a blind man. And the disciples ask why he's blind. Did he sin or did his parents sin? Which like real read... sensitive question, guys. First of all, I read the scriptures like it hasn't worked like that for like a long time. Although it did work like that for a little while after they said it stopped working. That's like true. That. <laughs> okay, I mean, fair enough. Um, and Jesus says, actually, he's blind so that like I can heal him and mm-hmm. show God's power to the world. And he cures him by spitting in some dirt and then rubbing the resulting mud into the guy's eyes and the guy's cured and the pharisees don't like that no and they excommunicate him or it says they they like sent him out of the synagogue so that may just be like uh, he's he's barred from his local synagogue Mm -hmm. but it maybe he's like excommunicated it's unclear then we come to the first parable in john um one of very few parables maybe the only one that could properly be termed a parable, like mm-hmm. maybe. Um, even then it's kind of shaky. And Jesus and the disciples don't call it a parable. They call it a figure of speech. Um, and it's about like how he's a shepherd and people <sighs> will follow him. And, and he really like has to lead him by the fucking collar to get through this parable. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the details aren't important because we want to get to the juicy stuff. And the juicy stuff is raising Lazarus from the dead. So, Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha. Mary is, quote, the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Mm-hmm. Which, which is a story that has not happened in this book. Hasn't point. happened yet chronologically in John, uh, but we talked about it in our Luke episode. And it must be a story that everybody knows. Yeah, I, I assume so. Um, and they all live in Bethany, which is just outside Jerusalem. And... Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick um, and Jesus, you know, starts traveling there, but Lazarus dies while he's en route. Um, And by the time they get there, Lazarus has been dead four days. Mm -hmm. And Martha's like, you know, I know if you'd been here, you would have healed him and he wouldn't have died. And Jesus tells Martha, your brother will rise again. And she's like, yeah, I know. Like on Judgment on Day, judgment day when we everyone, all yeah. everyone will rise again and God will sort the righteous from the wicked. And Jesus is like, no, I am the resurrection. Which is weird because it's like figurative, but also literal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, I don't know. Uh, then, of course, her sister Mary says the same thing. She's like, I know if you'd been here, you would have killed him. You wouldn't have died. And Jesus is so moved by her grief that he starts crying. And this is another very famous Bible verse, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Mm. That's it. The shortest Bible verse. In a bit of foreshadowing, Lazarus is buried in a cave with a rock rolled in front of it. And Jesus has them roll away the stone. 
And then he says a prayer that's like, God, uh, please let me do a miracle so I can prove that I'm your son. Mm-hmm. Not a good miracle reason. But... It's not the best miracle reason that we've seen in the Gospels. And then he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus rises from the dead and walks out of the tomb, quote, wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Yeah, mummy style. A spoopy mummy. He's a mummo. He's a Halloween mummo. It's a classic mumzar situation. And the Pharisees are not happy about this. Who would be happy? They got a crazy mummy running around. They got a mummy running around. And they're like, it's not even Halloween. It's like just past Sukkot. Actually, is Sukkot in October? I don't know. What are you doing for Simchat Torah? (laughs) Simchat Torah? Uh, So the Pharisees call a meeting of the Sanhedrin, which is like a panel of judges, Hmm. I guess. I don't really know. Panel um, of spooky judges. <laughs> yeah, they're all dressed in Dracula costumes. <laughs> and you shouldn't compare Jews to vampires. <laughs> okay, look, all the anti-Semitism is in the text. <laughs> they're talking about well, not the all Jews of it. left and right. Mentioned spooky Draculas, and they're like, okay, we got to get rid of this guy, otherwise everyone's gonna start following him. Judaism is gonna fucking collapse, and then Rome is gonna take over Judea. Mm-hmm. I I have to say the. Moment when the Pharisees are like having this meeting and deciding what to do about Jesus uh, makes their reasoning so much uh, more reasonable. Yes. Than in any of the other gospels. Yes. Here's the text where they say, what are we to do? The man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and destroy both our holy places and our nation. So they're like, look, if we can't prove to the Romans who run this fucking place that our people aren't going to revolt yeah. in some sort of agrarian revolt against the city elite, then our religion is going to be destroyed and, again. <laughs> and the religion is equated with their like political structure state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it seems eminently reasonable. To I me. agree. It's, it's the most like political explanation in any of the gospels and it makes the most sense. Yeah. It's not, um, it's not born out of like ignorance uh, I, I guess I guess it is. I guess they're ignorant of the truth that he's God's son. Right. But like, obviously, like, who wouldn't be? And the high priest Caiaphas, who is who's presented as like a villain mm-hmm. in, I would say, all of the Gospels um, here, he's like, you know, well, it's better for this one guy to die. Like, it doesn't matter if he's actually evil or whatever. We just he has to die so that we can keep like keep the Jewish state together. Right. Because people are, people are obsessed in this book with the fact that Jesus is or has a demon inside him. Yeah, they keep telling him he's demon-possessed. And I feel like the way that it's presented, the high priest Caiaphas, he's like, I don't I don't care if he has a demon or not. He's just got to go. Which seems like a very realistic uh, political plot, uh, Yeah, I agree. You know, that it really wouldn't matter <laughs> to the people in charge how true his uh, beliefs are or whether he was evil or good, but he was an existential threat to their yeah. state and their and their religion. And that also makes the most sense in terms of like his execution. Mm. It, like in real life, the historical Jesus was probably executed like for largely political reasons, mm-hmm. you know. So this seems this squares with that more yeah, this squares than, with that. than the like than the rest of the gospels, which is interesting cuz like most of John I feel like is very ahistorical, uh-huh. like more ahistorical than the other 3. But this part seems more real to me, which that's just my personal subjective yeah, opinion. Yeah, because in some of the other Gospels, they just make they just like do this and seem to display a, like a cartoonish evil and ignorance. Yeah. So then we get we get the Nard 
nard jar mm-hmm. story again. Um, this time the woman is named Mary, but she's the sister of Martha and Lazarus, not Mary Magdalene. Um, and she puts the perfume on his feet, like in Luke, not on his head, like in Matthew and Mark. Um, and in Luke, the priests said she was sinful, so Jesus shouldn't touch her. Um, Matthew and Mark, some unnamed followers objected that like the perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor. Here we get Judas Iscariot, the the betrayer. Yes. Who had this is an amazing parenthetical that I did not expect to find in the Bible. I agree. I agree. Here's the text. Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, parentheses, the one who was about to betray him. Parentheses. Said, Fucking parentheses over here. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Parentheses. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. <laughs> he kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Mine has, this is getting spicy, baby. Mine says he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Old Judas money bag. Judas money bags. So, that, I, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. I think it's interesting that they set him up not only as a... I mean, like, there are so many ways to think about the betrayal of Judas, yeah. right? And the various Gospels, I mean, there are only four Gospels and... Well, they each portray it in a slightly Gospels. different way. They do. Sometimes he, he betrays him, like, almost on a whim in, like, just a I-need-to-get-mine kind of way. And other times he's he betrays him because uh, the devil goes into him, literally. Yes. And, like, inspires him to do it. In this one, he's a thief. He's a some sort of rouge thief. He's a thief, as my uh, my little brother used to pronounce it when he was a baby. Yeah, he's a stealer, <clears throat> as they have in Pittsburgh. <laughs> so now we're finally getting into the end game. So Jesus has his triumphal uh, Palm Sunday entry into Jerusalem. Um, I just want to point out this is the only gospel where Jesus doesn't have his disciples steal a donkey for him to ride in on. No, although they do mention that prophecy. Instead. Quote, Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. <laughs> the timeless technique of, of claiming something is yours by sitting upon it. Um, Jesus predicts he'll die, which he did in the other Gospels. But here he also says. Oh, I got it. Position is nine tenths of the law. Position is nine tenths. Baby, let's rewind. You got to get that joke in. I just did. Um, Jesus predicts he'll die, which he did in the other Gospels. But. Um, he says in this one, now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason. I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That's exactly what he said in the other gospels. Mm -hmm. He said like, like thy will be done, but please take this cup from me. Mm -hmm. Like if it's possible, you definitely see the theology has changed here. Like Jesus is way less, um, humanized here. In a lot of ways, like no, he is an agent of the Lord. Yes, in, in like almost a physical sense. Yes, it's like it's supposed to prove he's not just like the Son of God, but he is also God. Right, both. Um, and I don't know. I guess it's supposed to be like you gotta follow this guy. Like he's so powerful. Like he's God himself. You know, but they they didn't seem to account for the possibility that like people would think. This guy is so powerful that it doesn't seem real. Like, I've never met anyone who acts like this. Mm-hmm. Maybe these Christians are making this up. It might be 
paradoxical, but for me, when Jesus is more human, it makes it easier to believe that he's like the Messiah, the Son of God, or whatever. Because, like, when I his read... message is supposed to resonate with humans. Yeah. So when it comes from somebody that at least seems to understand the human perspective, it makes much more sense on a personal level. Yeah. Like when I read, like, okay, God, I'll do this if I have to, but please don't make me. Right. Like that's that's a thought process that I can get my head around. Sure. Um, and then when I read him being like, I don't care. Pin me up, boys. You know, I'm like, all right, that totally happens. I totally believe that. Anyway, Jesus is on his way into the city. Palm Sunday, the whole end game is beginning, but we need to take a quick break. Yes, we do. And when we come back, we'll have the fucking crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the gospel, according to Joan. Uh, Joao. <laughs> According to Joao. Okay, we'll see you in a minute. Okay, bye. Bye. Sunday School Dropouts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Nico. And we're talking about the gospel according to John. And we are at the Last Supper. And in John, this does not happen in any other gospels, at the Last Supper, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. See, from outside, this has always seemed like a very important part of the gospels yes, to me. It, because I was always like, they were like, oh, Jesus, he like washed his disciples' feet. And it, that's like a gross thing, but it showed how like like, humility egalitarian it was that's true from the christian perspective too Mm. like this was talked about a lot in church Mm. and i was surprised to find that it was only in one gospel jesus and peter have a weird exchange about it Mm -hmm. where peter's like don't do this yeah like (laughs) it should be the other way around like you can't wash my feet i should be washing your feet and jesus says you know like if you don't let me wash your feet then you have no part with me and Peter's like, okay, then wash Peter's my Peter's like, I'm GGG. Then <laughs> Peter's like, uh, yeah, I I read uh, fucking, what's his face? Savage Love, yeah. Savage Love. I read Dan Savage. Um, and Jesus, or Peter's like, okay, if you're going to wash my feet, then wash my hands and my head to, you know, like totally cleanse me, like make it a whole thing. And then Jesus says, no, once you wash your feet, your whole body is clean. <laughs> Which again... <laughs> Uh, Jesus doesn't understand germ theory. He he subscribes to the God made dirt, dirt won't hurt philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, but this also is like, why is it with this Jesus guy, everything has got to be about salvation? <laughs> well, it's a beautiful moment though, right? It's, it is, actually. You know, like, like everyone should honor and forgive everyone and not be like embarrassed or squeamish about it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I will wash anyone's feet and I'm, I'm, well, not anyone's, but I will wash, you know, my disciples' feet. Or below me 
and I am the son of God. Now, just before the foot washing, mm-hmm. it says the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. Right. Now, just after the foot washing, they're having the Last Supper, which also they're lying on their stomachs. Okay, this is like how they eat. I don't, I don't, I never fucking learned this. Yeah. What they fucking lie it on says their they're reclining, so I'm not totally sure what the physical setup is. They're reclining on their stomachs, and Jesus breaks the bread, and then he doesn't say, "This is my body broken for you," like he does in the other three gospels, because he already said this in like chapter two sure. of John. Um, and so here he says, "The person I give this bread to will betray me," mm. and then he gives it to Judas. No one reacts. <laughs> and, and then it says, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him, which like I thought that Satan was already in there. I thought we just covered that like a few verses ago. So he leaves. He goes out into the night. Um, and now there's 11 disciples left in the room. And Jesus starts preaching. And this is kind of the only like sustained preaching in the book of John. And it's... um. Again, really heavy on, like, believing Jesus is the Son of God and that's the way to salvation mm-hmm. um, and pretty light on how to act or, like, treat other people. Then he does go to Gethsemane, although it is not named as such. Um, it's just a nameless olive garden. Mm-hmm. Jesus knows the people love the endless breadsticks. The kind you can find in any strip mall, etc. And uh, there's nothing about the disciples falling asleep. There's nothing about Jesus praying. Um, Judas shows up with the like Jewish police and points out Jesus, but doesn't kiss him. Right. There's no moment of doubt in the garden. Correct. One of the most amazing scenes in the previous gospel. I agree. Um, one of Jesus's followers does cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. And this one. Why that detail would survive all of this stuff, I I have no idea. And John is the only gospel that specifies that it's Peter. Mm. And also says that the servant's name is Malchus. uh, Or Malchus, I guess. Malchus, yeah. Yeah. Um, Then he's brought before Pontius Pilate, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I really like the characterization of Pontius Pilate in this version of the gospel. Please. He's very conflicted. Yes. And he seems very engaged. With the matter at hand. Yes. And he's really puzzled by Jesus. Yes. And, and this whole situation. He's like, okay, what did you do? Like, why is everybody so mad at you? And Jesus is like, well, I was sent by God to bring the truth to the world. And like everyone who understands the truth is on my side. And then Pilate goes, what is the truth? <laughs> That's a direct quote from the Bible. What is the truth? And then he's and like, that paragraph sort of just like ends there. Yeah, he's like, then he just goes back out and he's like, guys, I don't think this guy did anything wrong. It's like I'm, I'm looking at this from a philosophical angle. Like, I don't know what truth is. Do you? No, nobody knows. I think he's fine. I like that that Pontius Pilate tries to sort of insert his logic into this like theological dispute, or like he sees it as a political thing, mm-hmm. which it clearly is. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he's getting nothing but theology from Jesus and he goes to the crowds. Like, mystical bullshit. Like, yeah. Oh, well, have you seen the wind blow? No. Well, what is the truth? <laughs> you know? And he goes to the crowd and, and he's like, here's your king. 
I mean, this is what he claims, and this is the crime. Like this, he's is... like, I'm a fucking Roman. I don't know what you Jews want. Right. He seems like a king. And they say, crucify him, crucify him. And he's like, you really want me to crucify your king, the guy that is like claiming to be a messiah? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but the emperor. It's like, okay, well. Yeah, again, like way more explicitly political than in the other three. Absolutely. It's not about blasphemy. It's about like preserving a political order. Yeah. And it's weird because like, so when you think about like the historical Jesus, which, you know, isn't that important for what we're talking about. But, um, you know, Mark is probably the closest to the historical Jesus and John is the furthest. But in terms of like why he actually got executed, mm-hmm. this all seems pretty kind of plausible. This seems plausible, yeah. And especially, I like the the Roman judge being like, "Are you? This seems like some serious shit is being disturbed right now." Yeah, <laughs> like. But although in real life that would make a Roman judge be like, "Therefore, we need to kill him." I see. You know. Um, but so okay, we get the whole crucifixion story. You know, he gets put up on the cross, et cetera, et cetera. Pretty standard passion stuff. Yeah. Um. In the other three Gospels, it's only women who watch him be crucified. Um, which women it is, their their different names are given in the different Gospels. Um, but it's always women, no male disciples. Three Marys, uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary the wife of Clopas, whoever that is, uh, Mary mother of Jesus, although she's not named as Mary. And there's also... The disciple whom Jesus loved, a.k.a. John, a.k.a. the guy writing this book. So there's actually a fourth Mary, and it's Mary Sue. I see. Yes. I see. And In the text, it, very, it seems very much like it's saying Mary, comma, the disciple Jesus loved. No, it's, I mean, that might be the original intent, but definitely canon from from very very long ago is that the disciple whom jesus loved is john got it and in this version it's like oh yeah and then jesus from the cross said like hey um john my favorite disciple yeah that hasn't done anything really yeah that's like there's my mother that's like your mother and mom this is your new son because like Mm. this is my favorite disciple see um, when he dies, he says it is finished, not why have you forsaken me? Um, that would not fit in with this super divine Jesus at all. That's true. Um, he's, you know, he's. Once you, uh, once you start to erase doubt from, from the Jesus story, you kind of have to go all the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is God. He was present at the creation of the world. Like the world was created through him, there's no way that he could think that he himself forsook himself. Right. Um, and then after he's dead, we get um, the soldier spearing his side and blood and water come out. This is like a really famous image that doesn't happen in the other Gospels. And, and it's purely to fill in some sort of prophecy gap here, it's right? to fulfill a prophecy, but I don't understand because the prophecy doesn't have anything to do with water. And I don't understand, like the prophecy. Just say you like you'll see him pierced before you. Yeah, is that he'll be pierced and that his bones won't be broken. Right. Which like that's already fulfilled by him being crucified without any broken bones. Well, was isn't the story in the text that the Pharisees didn't want any more bodies up on crucifixes during Passover during the Sabbath? 
Correct, which I don't know why in real life a Roman governor would grant that request, but and apparently here to get people does. down from from uh, crucifixion, you have to break their legs. Well, no. So the thing about crucifixion <laughs> is you can die in a couple of ways. Sure, um, you might die from like blood loss from being beaten beforehand, or from like dehydration or something like that. Oh, your your rib cage also collapses, right? But if you break if you break the person's legs, then they can't hold themselves up and then their rib cage will collapse and they will suffocate. Oh. This is all historical. This is not like oh, like this is a torture that they that they imagined for the Bible. This is everything that the Romans actually did. So in this in in the Gospel of John, the other people who are crucified around Jesus, they break their legs in to, order to, to speed things up. To speed things God, up. This to is kill stuff. Yeah. Um, but Jesus is already dead, so they don't have to break his legs. Mm. Um, and instead, they just spear him for some reason. And blood and water comes out. And I don't understand why, because the water is not specified in the prophecy about being pierced but having no bones broken. Got me, baby. But it's a really famous image. I, I don't know. I, I don't understand it. I don't claim to understand it. Possibly a listener can write it and explain it to us. Um, He gets... Buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb with 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe. That's a lot of myrrh, baby. I just a lot of fucking myrrh. Uh, on the third day, of course, uh, he rises from the dead. Mary Magdalene sees the tomb is empty. Um, I thought it was a beautifully staged resurrection scene. <laughs> there are. Because... I just, I just mean in a literary sense, like. She's crying at the at the at the mouth of the tomb, and uh-huh. you get it. You get a very nice sense of staging that you don't get in some other mm-hmm. Bible scenes, where where you have an idea about what she's seeing, and then something like something comes up behind her. Yeah. Very few people come up behind each other <laughs> in the Bible, if you know what I'm saying. Well, the woman with the nard came up behind Jesus when he was reclining on his stomach. That's true, but presumably you don't get anointed, you know, by accident. Like I mean, like you have to be a a participant in anointment. That's true. That's true. The um, benardening. <laughs> you get narded mm-hmm. voluntarily. You can't get surprise narded. Um, so, yeah, she thinks he's the gardener and she's like, yo, like, <laughs> she said, yo. Yeah. Um, She said, yo, like, Jesus's body has been stolen. Like, if you moved it, could you please put it back? Because you're the gardener and that's what gardeners do in graveyards, I guess. And then he's like, hey, Mary. And she's like, what? It's Jesus. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he does. Th- he starts appearing to the disciples. Uh, Thomas has to touch the wounds in his hands before he believes that it's really Jesus so in this it, version. In this one, he appears to the uh, apostles three times. Does he? I didn't count. Yes. Um. This is where we get doubting Thomas. Which seems like it takes like a couple of days to do. So I don't know what Jesus is doing in his downtime after his resurrection. Well, he's like, you know, zapping in and out. He does that in the other Gospels, too. I guess so. Um, But I guess it's usually in the other Gospels. I think it was like not just to the core uh, 11 disciples. It was. He's walking amongst the crowds. Yeah. He was like going to the like auxiliary disciples. I'm confused. I mean, like he's got limited time back, presumably. I don't think it's limited. I think it's. So I guess he can just dick around as much as he wants. I think he can. Uh, he's the son of God after all. Um, 
he appears to the disciples one last time. Got like a spiritual trust fund. <laughs> and the last appearance is the miracle where he makes them catch so many fish that their net breaks. Which is supposed to be a metaphor for the future of the church, right? Yes, because although in, what was it, Luke, he did that to get Matthew and uh and, and Luke, he did and it as a, as, a, as a reward for them taking him out on their boat to give that speech to everybody. Right. Um, here, the next thing that happens is that he tasks Peter with establishing his church. When he's talking to Peter, Peter's like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, I'll establish the church. Um, What about this guy who's following us? And the guy who's following them is... The disciple whom Jesus loved, a.k.a. John, so a.k.a. Was he there the whole time? The like, guy who's writing this book. I don't know. Um, so Peter doesn't know John? I, well, he's just like, hey, what about like, what about this fucking guy? <laughs> um, the worst, your worst disciple. Yeah. And and Jesus is like, actually, that's the disciple whom I love because that's who's writing this book right now. <laughs> um, what Jesus says is like. Don't worry about him. Don't worry about, like, who I like. Don't worry about, like, my favorites. You just do your job. And if I want John to stay alive until I return, what's that to you? Mm -hmm. And then it says, so then, like, all the disciples started thinking that John would be immortal and he would never die until Jesus came back. But that's not actually what Jesus said. Jesus said just a rhetorical question. Right. So, obviously, a piece of text inserted to settle a, a, yeah. a point. Yeah, exactly. Like and then the last verse of the book is, uh, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. That's weak stuff, baby. It's weak That's stuff. That's what I expected from the Deuterocanonical books. Oh, shit. You know? You're putting John in with Tobit? Well, I'm just saying it, that editorial style, that's very... Uh, it's on a human scale. It doesn't seem divinely inspired. Mm. Like, that doesn't seem like divine inspiration to be like he did a bunch of things it would probably take forever to read them it's also the only verse in the entire book that uses the first person mm. this is like i suppose that's what they hated about those deuter deuterocanonical mm. books as well you had to be very careful about the use of first person mm. because you were like i am just a petty translator you know like, <laughs> i'm doing my best because i think i want to bring you this magical yeah, book of secrets that was in uh Sirach. that mm -hmm. was great it was it was great, <laughs> but that was part of the objection of the rabbis at the time. Totally. Anyway, that wraps up the book of John. There's only one thing left to do, which is to rate what that what be what. How would you rate this book, my dear? I would give this book 14 out of 20 dose Samaritan women. 20 dose. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm giving you a little south of the border flavor. <laughs> oh my, a polyglot here. We've got a polyglot on our hands. We've polygot a polynot. Oh, my. I don't know what I'm talking about. Here's, let me tell you why. Okay. It's not as good as the other Gospels. True. Uh, because this version of Jesus is not a human being. True. He's some crazy alien with, like, that's sent from heaven. He's not a, he's not a human being. True. I want a human being savior. I agree. However, okay, there are still some what well, I think uh, are very well written scenes as well as some very nicely put together philosophy in here. I agree. In among the stuff where I'm the like, garbage. What is this? How did this make the cut? You know, mm -hmm. um, specifics in my mind include 
the Lazarus story, which I think is is very nicely told in this. Like I was saying about the resurrection, it was nicely staged. Mm-hmm. The there's dialogue in between characters. People are moving from place to place. Mm-hmm. It's it's literature. Yeah. Uh, in a way that some of the other parts of this book and some of the other parts of scripture are not, and so it has a it has a, a little bit of momentum to it, which I really liked. What'd you think, baby? I'm gonna give it five out of. 10 stones not thrown mm-hmm. um, for largely the same reasons. I agree. There's like a couple really good, like I love Jesus washing his disciples feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love not throwing stones. Um, I just think I, I don't like that. It's so focused on like, there's like nothing in here about how to, treat people mm-hmm. i mean there's a little bit but it's like way 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 more focused on like you can only get to heaven if you believe in jesus right and to me that's like that has become the most important part of christianity for like modern american christianity and it's so selfish mm. it's just about how do i personally get into heaven i do it by believing in jesus and that's like useless to me the the way more compelling version of christianity is like in luke like or in Matthew 25, like radical charity, radical forgiveness. Yeah. And and like and embracing humanity, giving all your money to the poor right. and just, yeah, like being in community with your fellow humans um, and not just like, how do I personally get into heaven? Well, I have to believe in Jesus. I don't have to like be kind to anybody per se. I just need to believe in Jesus. Um, That's something that. I think ultimately drove me away from Christianity and mm-hmm. um, I having not read like the gospels like all the way through before I was surprised to see that it's like very concentrated in just the gospel of John. Mm. Um, Interesting. Well, that I mean, that's the last gospel for I mean, that's, that's the last canonical gospel. That's the last God spell. Yeah, that's the last canonical gospel. We will get into some apocryphal gospels later. That sounds fun. It, I know. I haven't read any apocryphal gospels yet, and I'm super excited we about it. We're going to crack those books. We're going to find those secrets. But for now, we're going to do some listener mail. Hello. Our listener Joshua wrote in about the book of Tobit. Specifically, in our Psalms episode, we talked about how dog was a biblical euphemism for male prostitute. Yes, Phil, Phil Shu taught us that. And Joshua points out that in some translations of Tobit, when Tobit meets the angel Raphael... It says, then Tobias goes forth, found a beautiful young man, standing girded, and as it were, ready to walk. As it were. And then, and Tobias went forward, and the dog followed him, and he lodged the first night by the river of Tigris. His question is, was the angel posing as a male prostitute? My answer is, I have no idea. And uh, I'm terrified that someone might come to us as any sort of biblical authority. But that's a cool theory. I'm going to give 100% yes to that one. All right, great. Um, Our listener Matt sent us a really cool email that included a link to Cake's timeless classic, Sheep Go to Heaven, Goats Go to Hell. Everyone knows I'm a big cake head. Yeah, Nico is actually a super big cake fan. Um, And it was fun to listen to that song again. We hadn't listened to it in many years. It's a minute. We haven't listened to it in a minute. A minute, a hot minute. Um, And he also told us about Marcion of Sinope, or Martian of Sinope, perhaps. Or Sinope. Or Sinope. 
um, an early church leader who came up with this idea that there were like two gods who worked together, like one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. Super interesting and weird. Um, I, again, recommend Bart Ehrman's How Did Jesus Become God? Um, because it has lots of depictions of people like this and groups like this who came up with these elaborate theories uh, that like make all the different shit in the Bible work mm-hmm. together that's clearly not supposed to work together. Some of their theories stuck around and became Christian doctrine, and uh, some were considered heresy. In fact, this is like, I always, as a Christian and as an atheist, I always thought like, okay, the Trinity is like, you know, there's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're separate, but they're all equal somehow. Like, Mm -hmm. they're all different aspects, and you can't really, like, understand it. And that never really bothered me, because I was like, yeah, like, God, you know, is, like, not really 100% understandable by Mm -hmm. the human mind. But reading this book by Bart Ehrman, I kind of found out that uh, that's kind of the result of just like a bunch of different church doctrines trying to figure out how to make completely independent accounts of Jesus's life work together. Mm. And it like was actually less about, oh, like God is not. There is some inherent mystery. Right. About there's, God. It was like less mm. about that than just about. Uh, well, I don't know. John says this, but Luke says this. Those seem to disagree. How can we make that work together? Hmm. Thank you for your letter, Matt. Listener and friend of the show, Steve, asks, What Bible verse was Drill, uh, Twitter star at Drill, referring to in the tweet, quote, My big sons have made a mess of the garage again after being riled up by the good word of the Lord, end quote. Lauren, what's your take on that? I think it was the loins of the Leviathan in Job. That's fair. Very riled up. Very riled up. I could definitely see Drill's big sons getting riled up by that. What do you think? I think it's that one um, where, uh, like, she preferred her lovers with with loins like horses and emission like streams of water or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget which book that was in. Um, So we're both thinking loins. Oh, yeah. It's a dick thing. We're both definitely on the loin train. Mm -hmm. So, Steve, just go to, like... BibleGateway.com and like search for loins and just, any of those. Just Google loinin in the Bible. And that's like what Joel was talking about. Mm-hmm. Our listener Greg sent us a book recommendation Binding the Strong Man, a political reading of Mark's story of Jesus by Ched Myers. We have not read it yet, but it looks cool. It's just about the book of Mark. Thanks for the reco. Um, listener Casey points out I said that. The two alternate endings in the book of Mark sort of contradict each other because first it says Jesus appears to three women and then it says he only appears to Mary Magdalene first. Casey says the first appearance was an angel, not Jesus. Um, Casey, I assume you're correct. It says a man in white. So I guess I just assumed it was Jesus. But the other gospels do have like do explicitly say there's angels. Um, I think it's just safe to assume that I'm wrong about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Whatever it is, I don't know. It's the Bible. It's fake anyway. I assume you're right. Um, Casey also asked us to curse her cats, Twitch and Crowley. Uh, So here's a curse for them. You are from below. I am from above. I told you you would die in your sins. You will indeed die in your sins. Bad cats. Don't like. But like very much because they're cats. And that will do it for today's episode of Sunday School Dropouts. You can follow us on Twitter at Sunschool Drop. 
Um, you can also follow us on Facebook, search for Sunday School Dropouts, or go to at Sunschool Drop. And if you guys would leave us like a five star review on iTunes, it'd be like super cool because we have over a hundred ratings now, and now we're at five stars, and it's super cool. We don't quite have one hundred reviews, which is what we need to bully Nico into joining Twitter. We have like around sixty five or something. If you live in a a country that isn't the U.S. and you leave a review, please screenshot it and send it to us and then we'll add it to the total. Um, here are a couple of our reviews that uh, people in the U.S. left. Uh, Cam Wabam gave us five out of five uncovered secrets um, and says they were raised in the evangelical Southern Baptist tradition that was big on literalism and young earth creationism. Um, and they consider themselves pretty familiar with the Bible and a lot of its weirdness and contradictions, but they like hearing us go through it book by book. Our listener, Jesfilk Sherbetgaw, gave us 10 out of 10 lost tribes. Caradox <laughs> um, uh, gave us 5 out of 5 hands under thighs. Thank you so much. Uh, our listener, J. Dodd or MD, <laughs> we'll never know. Oh, what what degree does this person have? How many degrees? Called us educational ASF as super fuck, as I assume. As super fuck. And said it was nice to look back and actually learn about the book. I spent so many Sunday school classes nitpicking for meaning. Hell yeah. Another Sunday school dropout. And uh, Not a Patriarch gave us nine out of nine creeping things that creep upon their bellies. Thank you so much to everyone who left us an iTunes review. We want to thank Elise Carlton for our logo and art as always. Thank Nico for our uh, sound engineering and editing and original music, which, by the way, you can find at soundcloud.com slash Nico Bakulich. That's N-I-K-O-B-A-K-U-L-I-C-H. <laughs> it's all K's, except for a C at the end. And all of the other letters. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Lauren E. O'Neill. O'Neill spelled like Shaquille spells it. If you have any questions or you have a pet that needs a blessing or curse... You can send us mail at contact at sundayschooldropouts.lol. We will see you next week. We got plenty more Bibble to go, and we're going to enjoy every minute of it. Mm, yeah, sure. Why not? That's my plan. If you don't plan to enjoy it, maybe we should just cancel the fucking thing right now. <laughs> I'm done with this. I'm storming out of the room. Just kidding. Love you. Okay. We'll be back. After a standard one-week break. All right. See you on Sunday. Okay. Love you. Bye. Bye.